This is episode 52 of the 99 Forever podcast. I'm Eric Friesen, and my guest today is making his first appearance on the podcast. He's an Oilers fan and graphic designer who goes by the handle Oilers Digital, Kevin Newfeld. Kevin, welcome to the show. Hey, Eric. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, for sure. How's your Canada Day weekend going? Oh, it's going good. Had a really good day yesterday with the family. Uh, it was very busy, but <laughs> very good. And now we get the weekend off, so even better, right? Yeah, it's nice when Canada Day can kind of land on a, a Friday or a Monday, so you can stretch that into a, a long weekend. Yep, exactly. And there's nothing more Canadian than talking hockey on Canada Day too, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Usually on a normal year, I guess it would be free agency that we could talk about, but get to wait with that this year. Again, yeah, we're still a couple weeks away from that. Uh, by the way, I think it's awesome that you uh, made custom Team Canada phone wallpapers for your Twitter followers the other day. Uh, I also really appreciate the Gretzky Oilers jersey one you made for me back in May. Uh, how long have you had this skill for graphic design? Uh, well, I started graphic designing um, actually just after I finished high school in 2012. Uh, I worked with a company there and I learned the trade and I've just basically been having fun with it now the last couple of years when I moved on from that company. I've just been able to do more of my own thing with graphic design and and yeah, so just been rolling with it and just having fun. <laughs> Well, that's awesome, man. I'm sure a lot of Oilers fans uh, really appreciated all the ones you made. Uh, is there one name that you were getting requested more than anyone else? Uh, well, I'd say McDavid. It's not really a surprise. <laughs> but It's like walking around uh, the concourse at Rogers Place. You're going to see more McDavid jerseys than anyone else, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot of custom ones. It was actually mostly custom ones, which is which is great too. So. Yeah. As soon as I saw you were offering uh, to do the classic royal blue and orange jersey, I had to get a Gretzky 99, though. I mean, this podcast is called <laughs> the 99 Forever Podcast, so I think you could tell he's probably my favorite player. Oh, yeah. That's uh, that's pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we got plenty of Oilers topics to get to today, but since you're a first-time guest on the podcast, I'd just like to start by hearing a little bit about your own fandom. So when did you first start following hockey, and how did you become an Oilers fan? Well, I've been following hockey all my life. I don't even know when it first was a thing for me. Uh, as soon as I learned to walk, I was shooting bottle caps around the house. So uh, it's always been hockey for me. I've never been the MLB, NBA uh, NFL fan um, but actually as a kid uh, when I first started getting into it I was a New Jersey Devils fan oh really um, I was actually really interested in in playing goalie that was my favorite favorite thing and so Bradir was the the goalie of the time and in my obviously biased opinion the best of all time um, and the Devils they were just a, a big thing for me back then but um, around 07 08. I guess right after the the Oilers deep run there, I guess I watched a lot of that and all my friends, my family, they're all big Oilers fans. That's just how it is here in Alberta. And so I watched a lot of Oilers games and so really got into it too. And they were always number two for me and they became number one 
uh, pretty quickly with all the hype that was going around, even though it was the decade of darkness. There was yeah, there's kind of always a tough time year, to right? come in. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so are you actually in Edmonton? Uh, no, I actually live in northern Alberta. Okay. Yeah, around seven hours north of Alberta, so it's pretty far up there. Quite a bit north, yeah. Um, so who were some of your favorite Oilers players when you uh, made the switch over from the Devils? Yes, so I really liked uh, Hemsky. He was a big one for me. Um, Sam Gagne, I guess, was just drafted there. I guess the young guys, um, there's a lot of hype around them. Sheldon Surrey, really loved watching him and his bomb of a shot, right? Um, and Dwayne Rolson, of course, uh, he was up there. Yeah, um, those guys then, would all be. Uh, yeah, and then when we drafted Nuge, He's been he's been my favorite guy since uh, since we drafted him. Just some about him, just watching him play, his work ethic and his defensive acumen. It's 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 been Hopkins for me. You know, for a skilled playmaker like he is, he, I don't know if uh, his defensive ability gets recognized as much as it should. Oh yeah, exactly. And it's hard to believe that he's been with the team for eleven years now. It just it feels like he just got to town and. Um, now here he is over a decade later and he's on pace to become the Oilers all-time leader in games played now that he signed that eight-year extension. Oh yeah, I was, I was pumped that he got that eight-year, basically cements him as a lifer for the Oilers. And so that's, that was awesome to see. And it shows his commitment to the team too, because he played a lot of non-playoff years in Edmonton. And despite that, he was still always willing to stay with the team. He never complained once. And, you know, he wants to see this thing through. He wants to win a championship in an Oilers jersey. And, I mean, he's already one of the most beloved players on the team. But I think that extra commitment made the fan base love him even more. Oh, exactly, right? Just putting up with that. And like you said, not complaining. You never had rumors of him wanting out, anything like that. And they were the worst team for... A number of years, though, even after he joined, and to want to stick through it, and um, I think he's going to get rewarded right quick. Absolutely. You know, I've talked about this on a previous episode, but when the Oilers do win the Stanley Cup, and McDavid lifts it first as the captain, obviously, Nuge would have to be the first person he hands it to, right? He has to be. That would, I don't even think that's a question. I think it would go to Nuge first and then probably Dreisaitl. Oh, yeah, because he's, yeah, obviously McDavid and Dreisaitl are going to be huge for the team when they do win the Cup, just like they were this year, right? Oh. But, yeah, just that uh, the tenure part of it, then I think Nuge needs to get the Cup. 100%. Um, what do you remember about your first Oilers game at Northlands Coliseum? Um, actually, my first Oilers game didn't come until, I think it was 2012. I got to watch Cam Talbot get a shutout against the Oilers with the New York Rangers. Really? Okay. So that was great. Yeah, it was a 5 nothing victory for the Rangers. Ooh. Um, but you know what? Despite that, I had the time of my life. It was a lot of fun and it went way too fast. I mean, uh, as soon as you said the year 2012, I mean, that's right in the heart of uh, when they were finishing near the bottom of the league. So 
Uh, I'm not surprised that they dropped a, a five nothing decision that night. <laughs> um, anything else stand out to you from the game? I know it's probably hard when uh, your team loses five nothing, but any anything else you really remember from that night? Um, well, I remember uh, I, the atmosphere was was awesome, even though uh, they were losing. Uh, it's not like the crowd was didn't seem bummed at all. It was still still seemed like a good atmosphere. It was a lot of fun. Um, before the game, me and my brother, we were so pumped. We had dyed our hair orange and blue, and uh, we weren't the only ones like that either. So uh, it was just a lot of fun. I might have had the dates mixed up. I don't totally remember what year that was, but yeah, it was. It, it sounds like it's it's probably in that range, though. I, I, I'm trying to remember what year Cam Talbot broke into the league, but I think it would be right around then. Yeah, actually, I think it might have been the year before we got him. So uh, I think that was 2014, 2014 then, right? Okay. Yeah. So yeah, because he he was traded years, at but... the 2015 draft. Yeah. Yeah. So that would make sense. Yeah. Um, so I was obviously so... a little bit more excited to see that we got Talbot because he looked pretty good when I saw him. So. Yeah. Um, what is your best memory of watching the Oilers, either on TV or live in person? Uh, my best memory. Honestly, I'd say it came from the Calgary game when McDavid finished it off. I was watching with my five-year-old. Uh, she was staying up a little later. Um, and, yeah, we got pretty excited. And that was the most fun I've ever had watching a Cal- uh, Calgary-Edmonton game. And I watched uh, one other one in person, and this this topped it. This was just the best yeah, I mean, beating your your arch rival in the playoffs, it's it's hard to top that. I I think for a, a whole new generation of Oilers fans, they they have these playoff memories now because anyone born after the 06 Cup run, I mean, the only thing they would really have to remember is in 2017 when they made it to the second round and that was still yeah. uh, it was still a a memorable two series that they played and they could have stretched it further, I think if uh you know the the one game where they gave up the three nothing lead to the Ducks goes a little differently, but yeah, just to have a deep run like this, it's it was something that this fan base needed and and kind of rejuvenated it after uh, you know a, a couple a couple off years where they didn't make the playoffs, followed by two straight early exits. So to get back yeah. on track, I think is just so huge for this team, and and the fans deserved it too. Oh yeah, and it's tough not to feel positive about next season. After having watched that, you yeah. can just feel it that McDavid's going to take it to the next level again, as he always seems and to And he do. does. I mean, it's just he he improves on his stats every year, and you just wonder how he's able to continue to raise the bar. But it just every time you think he, he's reached his peak, he just finds another level. Yeah, exactly. And now he was surrounded with the depth that has been talked about year after year. Holland did a great job with that, with the with the forwards, and um, we we could see it. It was obvious in the playoff run. Well, that's one of the things that's always been so unfair um, about the criticism towards him from other markets. They say he hasn't won. He's not a winner. He hasn't been able to, you know, pull his team uh, far in the playoffs. A player can only take a team so far. McDavid, even though he plays. Uh, a lot like he plays 23 24 minutes a night 
that's still only a little more than one third of the game. And even if they control the play when he's on the ice, they still have to win the other 30 some minutes that he's not on the ice. (laughs) So to have a good team around him, I mean, take any superstar in the league and, you know, subtract the other top players from their team, it's going to weaken them and and make it a a lesser opportunity for them to go far too. So having that extra talent that he hasn't had before in his career, we saw what he's been able to do. And I think this just reinforces uh, to Holland that he needs to be all in next year and and believe that this is a year to to really push for the Stanley Cup. Oh yeah, there's no question. You got to be all in. Like, You've only got a few years left with McDavid and Drysaddle at their current costs. Drysaddle is not going to be as cheap as he's as he oh, is no. right now. <laughs> it's funny that that contract was seen as an overpay by some people when it was signed in 2017, <laughs> and now it's a value contract. He would be worth probably 11 million at least if he was well, uh, if he was to sign right now. I mean, getting him at 8.5. We're, we're fortunate to have that for the next three years. Um, how often uh, do you get the chance to see the Oilers play at Rogers Place? I guess living seven hours away does make it a little <laughs> more challenging. Oh, it definitely does. I've actually, I haven't been able to get a game in at Rogers Place since it, uh, since it got built. Um, it's just tough to make the trip, right? When it's right. seven hours, you've got the gas, you've got hotels. <laughs> becomes a bit of a... A bigger, higher cost trip, but I definitely want to get a game in this year now that COVID's over and and yeah. you don't have all that, right? I mean, it's it's an incredible arena, just the, the best uh, facility I've ever been to. I I try to make it out to about three or four games a year. Uh, I live in Saskatoon, so I'm about a five hour drive away. Uh, but like you said, I mean, there are additional things like the the cost of living out of town and having to come in and, and pay for all that extra stuff. But um, I mean, the, the way this team is playing, I, I'm going to even try to see a couple extra games next year because, I mean, when you have a chance to see McDavid in his prime, you, you want to definitely experience that. Oh, yeah, exactly. I For that reason, I, I wish I was closer. I would love <laughs> to catch multiple games a year just to be able to see that in person and then. And like I said, I really badly want to see a game at Rexall. I remember the first time I even just drove by Rexall in person. Or sorry, Rogers Place in person. Yeah. You're, it's, it just blows your mind how big it is. And Yeah, this team yeah. definitely deserved a, a new building downtown. And obviously over the last six years, it's uh, I think it's been great for the team. It's been great for the city. And, and people who live in Edmonton could probably speak to that even more than I could. But uh, I love it. Oh, yeah. Well, it's been a little over a month since the Oilers' season came to an end, and although they were swept out of the playoffs by the eventual Stanley Cup champion Colorado Avalanche, reaching the Western Conference Final for the first time in 16 years was a major step forward for this group. Uh, Kevin, Kevin, what can you say about the progress that the Oilers made this season? Oh, it was it was such an up-and-down season, right? Uh, it started off so good, and then... It got painful there for a bit. And then all of a sudden you're wondering if they're actually going to make the playoffs. But um, it was good to see them make the coaching change before it was too late. And then you are just seeing what Woodcroft could do the rest of the season. And then into the playoffs now, having won two rounds, um, you're feeling 
you're feeling great as an Oilers fan. Yeah, I, I mean, just like you said, it was really up and down. I, this season, I guess you could best describe it as a roller coaster ride for the Oilers. They had that amazing 16 and 5 start. Then they went into a dismal run over the next two months where they actually fell out of the playoff picture. But uh, like you said, w- when Jay Woodcroft took over behind the bench in February, after that, the Oilers were one of the best teams in the league the rest of the way. Uh, they finished with 49 wins, one shy of their first 50 win season since 1986-87. They also earned 100 points in a season for the eighth time in franchise history. But most importantly, they knocked off the Kings and the Flames in the first two rounds of the playoffs to reach the conference final. Uh, we also witnessed Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl each set multiple NHL records in the playoffs and finish first and second in league scoring, respectively. So even though they didn't achieve their ultimate goal of winning a Stanley Cup, it was still a great season for the team and the fans. And, you know, hopefully this is just the first of several long playoff runs for the Oilers over the next five years or so. Oh, yeah. Um, For me, going into the season, uh, the big thing for me is that we still needed a goalie. And then when I saw that uh, we got Mike Smith again for two more years, uh, even though he was coming off a great season, uh, just with his age and everything right away, that was a big red flag for me. Um, And then uh, right before the deadline, when Holland had his his interview there, he said he was comfortable with the goaltending. I just had to cringe because I knew that this goaltending, or I thought anyways, this goaltending couldn't get us there. Um, now Mike Smith, Mike Smith played great in the playoffs for the for the most part, um, but I just had that feeling that uh, we couldn't we couldn't get it done with the goaltending that we had, and so I think that puts an exclamation mark on what Holland needs to do this year. Yeah, and uh, we're going to talk about goaltending more later, but I do want to ask you when Smith got hurt in the third game of the season. Uh, when Devin Shore fell on the back of his leg in the crease, were you pretty down on their chances, or did you think that Miko Koskinen was going to be able to carry the ball and and lead them into the postseason? Uh, well, honestly, I was hoping then Skinner would finally get a chance. I thought that Skinner and Koskinen could maybe get it done. What with Smith's age and I, that was just a big red flag for me. Uh, like I mentioned before, I was a Verdure fan. Um, and then he I noticed how he tailed off so much towards the end of his career. And I felt that if that can happen with Verdure, the best of all times, all time, um, that had to happen with Smith. And I guess throughout the season, that's it was obvious, right? Uh, he wasn't playing at a Mick, Mike Smith level. Uh, he w- was injured a lot of the season, and so I didn't have very high hopes. Well, one thing I think we've seen from Smith and Koskinen is they're both capable of having strong runs, and they can also have some less impressive runs. And we <laughs> we saw, you know, later in the season, Mike Smith wasn't playing his best hockey, but once they got into the playoffs, other than a few mishandles of the puck that led to goals against, he was pretty solid for most of that playoff run, at least the first two rounds, I would say. Oh, yeah. You can't complain with uh, how he performed for the most part. 
um, as long as you're okay with watching some of the <laughs> the bad stuff that comes with it, with handling the puck, uh, some of those giveaways. Um, but he had an, added an element back there uh, for the defense, and so that was definitely helpful for the most part. So what are going to be your biggest memories from this season when you look back on it? Is it going to be what Connor and Leon accomplished in the regular season and playoffs? Is it going to be uh, beating two divisional rivals to get to the conference final? Is it going to be how well they played down the stretch to get into the playoffs? Like, What's going to be your your biggest takeaway from this year? Uh, my biggest takeaway is going to be this this playoff run, especially when you take out Calgary. Um, and in the fashion that they did, with a massive game one explosion of goals that they had there, um, and then just with the fact that they came back in that game, even though they, they lost, scare, it was what it was five one, and they came back to tie it six six. <laughs> I mean, even though they ended up losing the game nine six, just to watch that comeback, that's. That game alone is something that I'll, I'll remember. But obviously, the, the following four contests were a lot better because they ended up winning all of them. But just that series, you know, there wasn't one game that the Oilers weren't in. Oh, yeah, exactly. And their domination of the Flames down the stretch. Yeah. <laughs> and I, you know what? I think that for a lot of Oilers fans, it, that's going to be something that they don't forget because the last time that these two teams played in the playoffs was in 1991. So for anyone who's under the age of, say, 40, they they wouldn't really have too many memories of that. And now there's an entire generation of Oilers fans who can brag to their Flames friend friends <laughs> about beating them in the playoffs and not just beating them, but decisively beating them. Um, what game... Uh, of the of the four wins, uh, it, it will stand out to you the most. Well, for me, it's got to be that that final game. That game was so up and down, <laughs> especially the second period when they scored the the four goals back to back to back. Yeah, um, and then uh, with the controversy and the four goals in a in minute and final. eleven seconds. <laughs> that was just. That was a crazy was... stretch. First time in NHL history that's happened. And, uh, you know, I, I like the way that game four ended because the Oilers had a 3 nothing lead. They unfortunately <laughs> squandered that, um, obviously with, you know, the worst one being the, the shorthanded goal that Mike Smith gave up to Rasmus Anderson from about 135 feet away, you, a goal that you never want to give up. Uh, but the fact that Nugent Hopkins, who you know you and I are both a big fan of, scored that clutch game winner with about three minutes left, uh, that one is uh, a, one that really sticks out for me. And uh, obviously, I mean, McDavid scoring the overtime winner in the Flames barn to send them all yeah. home with their heads down. I mean, that that's an image that I think will be etched in my mind for the rest of my life. It's going to be etching a lot of Flames fans' minds too. That's the fun yeah. part. But you yeah, you're right. That that sorry, uh, that game four, uh, when they uh, gave up that three goal lead, that just felt way too much. Like the Oilers we've seen in the past, uh, just like in 2017, like you mentioned, that game where they gave up the three goal lead. Um, mm-hmm. 
as controversial as that was. Uh, it just felt like so Oilers. And then with it being a shorthanded goal shot from the Flames' own end, it was tough to feel good about that game in the moment. And then, like you said, Nuge step, stepping up, uh, giving them the lead, and then holding on. That was massive. <laughs> and, you know, when I was reviewing that series on this podcast, I said that was the biggest goal of Nugent Hopkins' career, and the overtime goal that McDavid scored was also the biggest goal of his career. Oh, yeah, that just puts such an exclamation mark on this playoff run. (laughs) And when you think about it, Nugent Hopkins hasn't been in the position to even score one of those goals before because, like we said, there were so many years that he was on a non-playoff team. So when he finally had the chance to be on a team that could go on a run like this, it just shows you put him in that situation and he delivers. And I'm sure that not only did every guy in, in that dressing room feel so great for Nuge to score that goal, that must have just been like the, the celebration of all celebrations for him after you know all those tough years to, to score such a significant goal for this team. I mean, that's one that I'm sure he'll never forget either. Oh, yeah. And none of us are going to forget. That's, <laughs> that's the great thing. Uh, do you think that this season is one that they can top next year? Like, is should this be like the standard now? We they they need to become a fifty-plus win team in the next season, or uh, are they going to you know with the other teams in the division getting better? Is it going to be even harder for them to get back to this point? I think that all hinges on what Holland does here in the next couple of weeks. If he can get them a goalie that's capable. And even better yet, if he can, like, there's been a lot of talk, right? Um, Gibson's name has been thrown around. Hellebuck's name has been thrown around. Mm. And whether they're realistic or not, if if the Oilers get someone like that, and if they can manage to, say, re-sign Kane uh, or someone similar, I think that you're going to have to look out for the Oilers because they're going to go far. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, we're seeing other teams like they, the Oilers beat the Kings in the first round. They just uh, made a trade the other day to bolster their team. The Oilers have to, you know, look at the teams around them and say, OK, everyone else is trying to get better right now. Vegas is probably going to bounce back next year. Uh, Calgary, even if they lose Johnny Goudreau, should still be a pretty good team next year. They have to keep improving as well. They can't just like sit on their hands and say, we're we're content with what we have. You have to keep improving your roster year over year and um it's like we kind of talked about before now that they've seen what this team is capable of in the playoffs there's no more time to waste at the deadline i expect the oilers to be trading uh potentially a first round pick for a rental who can help them go on a an even deeper run this is the year that you should be loading up the way that the colorado avalanche just did oh yeah exactly and the big thing for the oilers is they're going to improve internally. Uh, you're going to see Holloway likely stepping into the lineup. Um, and who knows, maybe another young guy like Borgo could surprise us. He's likely going to go to the AHL, but you never know. He could surprise us. Um, Bouchard is going to take that another step, like by all intents and purposes. He was a rookie this year. Yeah. Right. Even if it wasn't classified that way by the NHL, he was a rookie and he had a good rookie season. And you're going to see Broberg is going to step up. You could see Nimalainen take another step forward. Like Their young guys are going to 
they're going to step up and we're not throwing them in the deep anymore. Uh, for example, Holloway, he's coming in. He's a first round pick, but he doesn't need to step in as a second line guy or a first line guy. He can right. step in there on the third line, be with someone like Nugent Hopkins. <laughs> and you <laughs> he know, doesn't have to be the guy. Right. And that wasn't the situation 10 years ago when the young players were coming in, like Sam Gagne, Jordan Eberle, Taylor Hall, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Neil Yakupov. All these guys were expected to come in and be the stars of the team right away. The new crop of young Oilers prospects aren't going to have those same expectations. Now, they're not drafted first overall either. But for a guy like Holloway, we know that he has high potential Borgo, like you said, probably going to spend a year in the minors. But uh, the fact that he has, you know, such a shot to be a, a future sniper for this team, uh, even Petrov, who's going to be back in um, the OHL, you got Carter Savoy, who's coming along too. All these guys are going to eventually be making their way up to the main roster. And to have them all coming in at under a million dollars is so huge for this team because. The Oilers have a lot of big contracts on the books. If they sign Kane, that's going to be a lot of money. You've already got the raise for uh, Darnell Nurse kicking in this year. Leon and Connor make a combined $21 million between them. So to have a few value contracts like that on good quality young players, it, it's what this team is going to need. And basically what every NHL team needs to be competitive. You have to have a certain amount of guys on their entry-level deal who can make meaningful contributions, but also don't have that big of a cap hit. Yep, exactly. And one guy I didn't even mention, Ryan McLeod. Uh, he's going to come back. He's he's, he's due be... for a raise. No, but I don't think he's going to get that big a one. Like, yeah. you know, he might jump. I think he was making 800 and some thousand uh, this year. I could see him jumping to 1.5, maybe two at the most. But, you know, even though he's looked really good and he can... Uh, you know, impressed with his skating ability with the puck, the numbers aren't there to command a big salary yet. I think he had 21 points this year. Yeah, exactly. And we're almost kind of lucky that uh, <laughs> that that's the case because if he was finishing some of those chances that he got, I mean, that, that kid can fly. <laughs> Other than McDavid, he's the second best skater on the team. Oh, yeah. And when you watch him skate in-game, if it weren't for the number on the back, sometimes you would there think. are some times where I catch myself and I think it's McDavid for half a second. Uh, now oh, yeah. he doesn't he doesn't have the puck skills that Connor does, but uh, he can really fly out there for sure. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I love watching him play, and I hope that uh, that they can sign him for at least uh, a few years. Yeah, I, I have a feeling Holland's going to be going with a couple of bridge deals here. Yeah. And uh, speaking of McDavid. He was nominated for the Hart Memorial Trophy as Most Valuable Player and the Ted Lindsay Award as Most Outstanding Player as voted by the NHL PA at last week's annual award ceremony. However, he was the first runner-up to Austin Matthews for both awards, despite leading the league in points. Kevin, were you surprised that McDavid didn't take home any hardware at the NHL Awards in Tampa? And do you think he should have won the Hart Trophy? Well, I wasn't in the least bit surprised he didn't take home the heart uh, with the way the media was talking Matthews up. Um, that wasn't a surprise at all. Uh, however, I was baffled that he didn't get the Ted Lindsay. That one surprised <laughs> me a lot more. 
Yeah, I I couldn't believe it uh, because the players they know who's the best, and usually they they get it right in my opinion. But uh, I was very surprised uh, that he didn't get the tenth Lindsay. Well, but when the when the NHL players put out their um, their annual player poll that they do every year, I think it was back in April, they ranked McDavid as the best player in the league. So. <laughs> that kind of gave me the the sense that he has a better shot to win the Lindsay again this year than he does to uh, win the heart because it's like you said you could see that um the mainstream media especially out east was really pushing hard for Matthews this year but yeah that that one kind of surprised me that he didn't get the Lindsay oh yeah exactly and you know what McDavid should have taken home both of them the fact that he wasn't being talked up to be the MVP of the league is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, Matthews had an awesome season. He had a really good season, but he was not MVP of this of the league this year. Uh, the last time any player put up 60 goals was Stamkos. But the thing is, when, when Stamkos uh, put up 60 points or 60 goals, he didn't win MVP. Malkin did it, or Malkin got it. And Malkin only had 109 points. <laughs> yeah, and I think part of that might be that the Lightning didn't make the playoffs that year. So there's that that will factor guess, in a little bit. Always, yeah, yeah, but but at the other side, you you know that because of where Matthews plays, that increases the likelihood of him, you know, getting a a few extra votes out east and. I mean, I'm on the same page as you. I think that McDavid should have won the Hart and the Lindsay this year. And while Matthews had a fantastic season, like you said, he was the first player to score 60 goals in a single season in a decade. Based off the definition of the award, McDavid should win the Hart Trophy every year. And it's frustrating when I hear that there might already be some voter fatigue setting in with him around the league. Mm-hmm. That was... You know, and if the majority of the writers had ranked him second this year, that's one thing. However, there were five members of the Professional Hockey Writers Association who didn't even have McDavid on their ballot. And even though NHL award voting is a very subjective thing, it doesn't make sense that anyone could think McDavid isn't one of the five most valuable players in the league. I mean, he led the league in scoring with a career-high 123 points, and he won his fourth Art Ross Trophy as scoring champion. Uh, by doing so, he joined Gordie Howe and Wayne Gretzky as the only players in NHL history with four Art Ross Trophies by age 25 or younger. McDavid also had 45 multi-point games this year, which was the most by any player since Yarmir Yager in 1995-96. McDavid registered a point on 42.4% of the Oilers' team goals, while Matthews only contributed to 33.7% of the Maple Leafs' total offense. So simply put, McDavid makes everyone else around him better when he's on the ice, and he's more valuable to his team than anyone else in the league. Can you imagine any other player in the league putting up the season that McDavid had? And can you imagine not getting the heart? Well, I mean, it's kind of like in the NBA, right? LeBron James should win the MVP every year, but he doesn't get it. Uh, McDavid should win the MVP every year, but 
he doesn't get it. Like we're seven years into his career and he's only won two heart trophies. And yeah. even though, even though he was the unanimous winner last year, only the second unanimous heart trophy winner in NHL history after Gretzky in 1981-82, he should at least have, I think three or four by this point. He was robbed of one in 2018 just because the Oilers didn't make the playoffs. They gave it to Taylor Hall that year for, you know, helping the devil scratch and claw their way into <laughs> the playoffs as a wild card team. But realistically, uh, McDavid should have got it that year. And uh, this year, uh, I would say, would be another one that um, that he should have had as well. I mean, what happens next season if McDavid gets 135 points, but Matthew scores 60 goals again? Are they going to ignore that number? It's like, what what total does he have to get to where... Um, they'll they'll value that more than uh, the the goals that Matthews is putting up. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully now that Matthews has his one, then the media will be good, but uh, not I, a great chance of that. I, I guess the one thing that gives me confidence is last year when Matthews scored 40 goals in the pandemic-shortened year and McDavid led the league in points with 105 in only 65... Or, sorry, in only 56 games... There was talk, you know, who's going to win it between the two of them. And McDavid ended up getting every single first place vote in the league, including all the voters in Toronto. So uh, I guess that, like I said, it gives me uh, some hope that he'll be back next year and he'll get it again. But um, at the end of the day, I think we all know who the most valuable player in the league is. And yes, it is a regular season award. But if you look at the full picture of regular season and playoffs, McDavid also led the Stanley Cup playoffs in points, even though he didn't make it to the final. He <laughs> he, he scored 33 points, uh, finished first. And if you com- look at his uh, regular season and playoff points combined, he finished with 156 this year, making him the first player in 26 years to put up 150 points in a season since Mario Lemieux, Yarmer Yager, and Joe Sackick back in 1995-96. I mean... It was it was a season for the ages for number ninety seven. Oh yeah, and the fact that he's taking home absolutely nothing other than an Art Ross is that just blows my mind. Hey. Yeah, but I mean the Art Ross Trophy is still a a, a pretty prestigious award. Uh, I, I think it's even more prestigious. It's it's been around longer than the the Rocket Richard. So. Um, leading the league in points, we all know who the best player is, and uh, <laughs> there's no. I, I mean, would you bet against him not winning it next year? I, I think that he's. It's hard to say a lock, but he's uh, he's never finished lower than as second. As close as it gets. Yeah, if you look at how he's finished in the scoring race, uh, other than his rookie season when he only played in 45 games, he's. Won the scoring title in 2017, won it in 2018, finished second in 2019, second in 2020, and then he was won it again in 2021 and 22. So he's never finished lower than second in the scoring race. So he's as safe of a bet to be the scoring champion again as anyone. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I can see him winning pretty much everything next year. I think uh, with the team that the Oilers are going to have, they are going to be at the top of the standings uh, among the top five. Um, and I think they're going to go deep in the playoffs, and McDavid is going to be a huge part of it. Um, I, th- I think he's going to win a lot of hardware next year. I agree, and it'd be great to see him add a, a Rocket Richard and, and hopefully a Conn Smythe 
as well, because that will mean that the Oilers made it to the final. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, uh, I want to talk to you about Jesse Pugliarvi now. And earlier this week, Tom Gazzola of TSN 1260 in Edmonton said that Pugliarvi and the Oilers are likely headed towards a split. Uh, Gazzola is an Oilers insider, so when he puts something like this out there, I trust it's accurate information. But then yesterday, Daniel Nugent Bowman of The Athletic reported that Ken Holland said Pugliarvi has not asked for a trade. Uh, Kevin, do you think the Oilers should re-sign Pugliarvi this summer, or is it time for both sides to move on? I think he needs to stay with the team. I don't see any reason for the team to move on from Pugliarvi. Um, I think it's ridiculous that he's getting pushed off as as um, this player who's incapable of playing in the middle six. And that article I read uh, from Sportsnet the other day um, about the play dying on his stick, I don't know what game those guys are watching. <laughs> yeah. I, I think uh, that there's one or two times where he's mishandled the puck or... Uh, been a step offside that got a, a play blown dead and it's almost like some people never forgave him for that and it's just they question his hockey sense they question you know is he a player who should be playing that high in the lineup uh, it's I I really think that he has been overly criticized during his entire time in Edmonton oh absolutely uh the media always has to have their their fall guy, right? And now it's Pugliarvi's turn, and they're going to drive him out of town. And it's just frustrating seeing that. I mean, I, I'm i hoping he's not going to get moved out of town. I, I, I'll just start by saying that I don't want the Oilers to trade Pugliarvi. This is a player they drafted fourth overall in 2016, He's still only 24, and I think his best years in the league are ahead of him. And since he returned to the Oilers two years ago after a season in Finland, he's had a much greater impact on the team than he did his first time around when they rushed him to the NHL before he was ready. Uh, Pugliarvi had 24 points in his first 28 games this season before he got hurt. And after missing three weeks, it, it took him a little while to get up to speed, and his offensive production dipped down the stretch. But still, he's one of the best defensive wingers in the league. He excels at suppressing zone entries and shot attempts. He's basically had a positive impact on whoever he, he's played with. I mean, even McDavid's numbers have improved when they've been together. And even when he's not putting up points, Pugliarvi can still contribute in the offensive zone by using his body and his long reach to extend plays and create space for his line mates to... Uh, create scoring chances. So he doesn't score as much as you would like to see from a top six winger, but I still think he's a very valuable player to this team. And I think it would be a big mistake for them to let him go. Absolutely. And especially if they gave him away, like has been uh, insinuated upon uh, for a third round pick, giving him away. You look, Yes, the Oilers do want to recoup some draft picks this year because after their first round pick at 29th, I don't think they pick again until 158th. So it's going to be a, a a big gap there, but that's not the way you get your draft picks back by moving a player like that. If they do end up trading Pugliarvi in the next month, 
it has to be for a player who can help them right now, not for futures. You're building towards winning a championship, and every move you make needs to be about getting the team to that goal. And trading for a second-round pick who might be able to help you four years from now, that is outside the window that we're really trying to win. The Oilers want to win a Stanley Cup in the next two years. So they need an impact player who can play on a skilled line right now. And if Pugliarvi is just going to get moved for a second-round pick, then I would just say, look, let's let's sign a one-year deal and we'll reevaluate things a year from now. But maybe you can't convince him to that. Maybe he does want to move. But like we said, we're hearing conflicting reports between um, different insiders of the team from what they're hearing. But I, I'm just hoping that Pugliarvi wants to be here and that he sees his future in Edmonton because, you know, not only is he a fan favorite, but I think that he really is a player who uh, makes a difference on this roster. Oh, yeah, exactly. And like you just said, he's a fan favorite. Fans absolutely love him. Yeah. There's, I guess, the odd one that you see that that has uh, something critical to say about him. But this guy, he has fun on and off the ice. You can see it. He's having fun. And that's something that you want to see as a fan. Um, and, and winning helps if they're going right? to move him. You know, when you're, oh I mean, yeah, exactly. When, if you're winning, you're you're more likely to have a lot of fun. Like, sure, I love seeing the the picture of him in the bison costume uh, at Halloween, <laughs> or, or the picture that he actually even took with his girlfriend and his dog uh, with the bison in the background and all that kind exactly. of stuff. And you know, he's he's kind of a, a funny guy, and just you know, his interviews are usually pretty entertaining. But uh, the most important thing is what he can bring on the ice. And some people will say, oh, he only scored four goals in the last 30-some games of the season. Well, yes, it's it's lower than you would like to see from a guy who's played with McDavid and Dreisaitl for the most part over the past two years. And if you're in that prime position, the team does expect you to bury a few more chances than than he has been. But that being said it's like I mentioned before, 24 points in the first 28 games of the season. He showed that he has the ability to put up offense, but confidence is such a big thing for players. And I I think that we've seen that throughout his time in Edmonton, that when he's playing with confidence, he can rip a slap shot from the top of the circle and beat a goalie, or he can go hard to the net and crash and bang in a rebound. And when he doesn't have his confidence it's almost like he's very tentative to even shoot the puck. He'll always defer off to McDavid or feel like if he makes a mistake, he's going to be stapled to the bench. So I just want to see him playing with the confidence that we know that he can and just believe in himself because every fan believes in him too. And just, he has the chance to have an even greater impact than he's had so far. Oh yeah. Um, Like you said, when he has his, confidence he's turning pucks over in the offensive zone yeah Uh, he has that reach and you've seen it since he broke into the league he's really good i mean he's six foot four and he has (laughs) he has an active stick and it's a long stick too so if he can do a lot of that dirty work for mcdavid digging pucks out of the corner stripping pucks and making a quick little pass to mcdavid in full flight so that he can go uh, generate the scoring chances it's good to have someone like that with McDavid. And then you're hoping that the other winger that they that he plays with is a little more of a sniper. So that's where you want to have a guy who can 
put up 30 plus goals playing on Connor's wing because you, yes, it's great to have a player like Jesse who can do all the the little things well and, and contribute in those ways. But I, I really think it is valuable to have someone who is more of a natural goal scorer uh, on the top line as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, having a guy like Jesse Pugliari who does all these things that don't show up on the scoreboard, well, mm-hmm. <laughs> that'll keep his contract a little bit lower. So <laughs> yeah, we'll have to see. Too. And I, I hope that uh, it is le- leading towards a, a contract being signed and not uh, and not him getting shipped out of town. And and speaking of a a sniper who could play the other wing with McDavid, I mean, there's no one who's fit that role better than Evander Kane, and uh, that gives us a good chance to transition to talking about him now. So when the Oilers signed Kane back in January. I think a lot of Oilers fans expected him to give the team some scoring punch on the wing, but I don't know if anyone could have predicted that Kane would be such an offensive force for the team in the second half of the season and into the playoffs. And Kane is in Edmonton right now. He actually showed up at the Brick tournament to wish the team uh, good luck uh, at the the tournament that they have every year at West Edmonton Mall for the the AAA novice uh, kids. And... There's also been reports that uh, he was golfing with Ken Holland in in BC and that he's back in Edmonton negotiating right now. But we know that he can't sign a deal until after the uh, arbitrator figures out everything that's going on in San Jose. But uh, Kevin, I'll just ask you, do you want Kane back in Edmonton? And is it worth the risk to sign a soon-to-be 31-year-old power forward long-term? I'd say absolutely. I remember watching Kane on the Jets against the Oilers uh, a number of years ago when he, when he was with Winnipeg, mm-hmm. and I remember hating him. <laughs> Just <laughs> watching him do his thing, get under the Oilers' skin, score, um, make offensive plays, and I was just thinking, it's like, man, I wish we had Kane. Like, you, well, exactly- you hate him. But you'd love him on your team. It's just like Matthew Kachuk with the Flames, and it's exactly uh, what we saw. He he gave it to Kachuk in in the playoffs, right? I mean that that was sort of a battle that was going on where you know those two, especially in Game One, were really um, chirping at each other. And I I thought that we might see them drop the gloves at some point, but it never really quite got there. It looked like there was a, a couple times it might happen. Um, but you're right. He has that ability to be a top offensive player while still playing that physical agitating role. Exactly. And then when you combine that with the chemistry that he had with McDavid and just on the Oilers, the the results that we saw, you have to go after the guy. And like you don't want to see him sign a seven, eight year deal. Like you said, he's 31 years old, but if you can make it work for the next few years, especially the remaining years that we have dry settle and McDavid under those contracts, you have to do it. You have to do what you can to keep Kane. Absolutely. I mean, look, look at what he was able to accomplish with the Oilers this year, 22 goals and 39 points in 43 games, close to a point per game pace. He was on uh, pace for 42 goals in a full 82 game season. And even more impressively, he scored a team-leading 13 goals in just 15 games in the playoffs. I mean, I know that McDavid and Dreisaitl were having 
incredible runs of their own and putting up assists at a incredible pace. But give credit to Kane too. He was finishing those chances. And I mean, those three were dynamite in the playoffs this year. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's not like he has to be our go-to guy on the offense. He's just a support guy and he's putting up points like that as a support guy, as, as our depth, like that's, you're not going to just replace that with anybody. No, I mean, he scored a natural hat trick in the regular season and in the playoffs this year. <laughs> this this is a guy who, if you give him the puck in a dangerous spot, he's going to put it in the back of the net. And the Oilers are blessed to have the two best passers in the league, uh, as I mentioned, in McDavid and Dreisaitl. When you, so when you can give him those kind of guys to play with, I expect that he could score 40 goals for the first time in his career next season. It, it just it makes oh, yeah. too and it makes too much sense for them to bring him back, right? Like he could he could chase as much money as you know he wants around the league, and, and maybe he will. Like obviously because he declared bankruptcy last year, yeah. it's a it's a tough financial situation, and I I wouldn't blame him at all if he tries to squeeze every single dollar he can out of his next contract. But at the same time, you have a once in a lifetime opportunity to play with a generational talent in his prime and potentially win a Stanley cup here. It just, it makes too much sense in my mind for them to keep Kane and for him to want to be a part of this. You know, who, who else is going to offer him the type of money and contract that the Oilers would? I mean, I know Washington was interested back in January, but I don't think they're interested at the price point that he's going to come in at. So uh, is he going to go to Buffalo? Maybe, you know, they'd have the cap space to do it, but is that really where you want to play the next uh, chunk of your, the, the last chunk of your career actually, or do you want to be on a team that's going to be contending for a cup? Yep, exactly. He's going to have to make that decision. Does he want a payday in in terms of real money, or does he want a payday in terms of what he's going to get in the remaining of his career, right? He sticks with the Oilers. He's not going to get the money that you said, for example, Buffalo could give him, um, yeah. but he's going to get the results. That's the other, happen. Yeah, and the other thing is, this is the craziest part of the whole arbitration case is that he could actually be awarded back to the San Jose Sharks if the arbitrator finds that he was unjustly uh, terminated from his contract. And what happens then? Like the Sharks don't want to bring him back into their dressing room after how everything went down with him leaving. So if he gets awarded back to the Sharks, then what? He's got three more years under contract at $7 million per would they just be willing to trade that back to Edmonton? Say, you know, we'll give you a second round pick and a prospect or whatever the deal works out to be to get Kane back because he probably doesn't want to go back in that dressing room and they sure don't want him back either. And he knows the fit that he has in Edmonton. So if he does go to San Jose, who they don't even have a GM right now, <laughs> uh, but so the, it'd be Holland basically negotiating with whoever's running the show there. It just... It's a messy situation, and I, I want to see how this all plays out. Hopefully, they'll just come to the conclusion that, you know, he's a free agent. He'll get a certain amount of money from the Sharks. I'm hoping he gets as much as possible because then he's less likely to chase every possible dollar he can get if he is actually awarded some of that 
21 million that he was still owed by the Sharks over the next three years. Yeah, exactly. I can't see him going back to the Sharks that, or playing for them again, even if he gets, or if that's how the arbitration case comes yeah. down to. That bridge has been burned. <laughs> that's not going to happen. They're going to deal him. And I think if that's the case, then the Oilers and the Sharks will come up with something with some yeah. money going their way or perhaps them retaining salary, whatever the case. Um, he's not going to play another game for the Sharks. Right. And and you rarely see uh, trades made within the division, but this is a, a rare situation where uh, he has already played for the Oilers this past season, and because of his exit from San Jose, it's more likely that it would be the best spot for him to come back. And I don't, I don't think the Sharks are just going to give him away either, but at the same time, it's it's a deal where the Oilers are saying, "Hey, we will take that seven million off your books because they they don't want that on their cap either, right?" <laughs> yeah, seven million that would be too rich for us. We we the Oilers can't do that this year. I I mean they they're like Bob Stoffer has already hinted multiple times on his show that the Oilers are going to have more cap space than people think like right now they're sitting at about 7.1 million and assuming Mike Smith goes on LTIR for the year that would bump them up to 9.3 and let's say Tyson Berry gets traded which Stoffer has also hinted at Berry carries a four and a half million dollar contract so that would take them up to 13.8 million you still have to try and sign Kulak uh, Ryan McLeod, Kyler Yamamoto, Jesse Pugliarvi, and then you wonder how much mo- a goalie, and then you wonder how much money is left for Kane, right? So, yeah. I mean, would they also be able to move out Fogel or Cassian and not retain any money? These are all going to be really interesting things to follow over the next few weeks and and kind of see how it plays out. But I hope they're able to keep Kane, but it's not going to be at the ultimate price. Like if, if he's trying to get as much money as possible, it won't be here. But I, yeah. I think that it's, it's not going to be as cheap as people think either though. Like he's not going to come play here at $3 million, not the way. Oh, he yeah, played not the a chance. No, yeah. I mean, he's, he's definitely going to have a big payday, but um, I would guess under 7 million if it does happen. Uh, all right. Uh, yeah. The final area on today's show is the goaltending situation in Edmonton. And now that I know that you are a goalie guy, I'm I'm really interested to get your take on this. So, uh, as we kind of talked about earlier, after three seasons with Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen in net, the Oilers will almost certainly have two new goalies next season. Stuart Skinner looks ready to be the backup at the NHL level, and the Oilers will attempt to find a new number one goalie this summer. As it stands, the top three free agent targets for Edmonton would be Vili Huso, Jack Campbell, or Darcy Kemper. Kevin, I want to get a thought from you on each of these goalies and who would be your pick to be the Oilers' new starter next season. Well, I think the Oilers could have done themselves a big favor uh, with handling Skinner better last season uh, when Koskinen and Smith were both not uh, performing the way we were hoping. Um, And then also uh, towards the end of the season when it was decided Smith was going to be the starter and he was making all those starts. Koskinen was just sitting there. Um, I think they should have given Skinner a couple games in there. And then 
David have a little bit of a better idea of what Skinner's going to be, even if he would have played more throughout the season. Would have been great, but Koskinen got a lot of games while Skinner sat on the bench when Smith was injured. And uh, I, I wish they would have handled that a little bit differently so that they knew a little bit more what they had in, in Skinner. Um, do you think uh, as that, for, sorry to jump in, but do you think that having Jay Woodcroft there from day one next season is going to increase the likelihood that Skinner will get more playing time? Because uh, if anyone knows this, this goalie and, and a lot of the young players on the team for that matter, who came up with him in Bakersfield is Woodcroft knows what he has in Skinner. So I would expect that he's ready to play 30 games next season. And you're looking for a starting goalie who doesn't need to play 60 or 70 games, but just a guy who can give you 50 to 52 and then hope that Skinner's ready to take on, like I said, somewhere around 30 in his, you know, what will be his, first full season on an NHL roster. Yeah, exactly. I think the goal is going to get him to about 30 games. And so then you aren't going to see them swinging for the fences uh, for a big name. I don't think that could happen. I'd be surprised. Um, but if something like that happens, then there's a good chance that Skinner goes the other way. <laughs> yeah. And so that would be pretty disappointing, not ever getting a chance to see what Skinner can do with the Oilers, right? Because if they, yeah, because if they were able to trade for Connor Hellebuck, let's say, I mean, you're adding a a Vesna trophy winning goaltender to a team that scored 290 goals last year. So to have an elite offensive team with that type of goalie between the pipes, you know, that's a recipe for going on another run to hopefully the cup. So I'm just thinking... Skinner would have to be included in that package because Winnipeg would want a, a young goalie in return. But you've only got two years left before Hellebuck's a free agent. And, you know, he's an American kid. Maybe he wants to go back to the States. It's it's hard to say what would happen. I don't know. Would you risk something like that? Because I would only want to make a trade for a goalie if they're going to get a guy who's going to be here for a while. And you also don't want to give up too many players from your roster. You want to be trading futures because you're just weakening your own roster if you're trading, um, say, a top six forward or a top four defenseman. Yeah, exactly. Um, But on the other hand, a a deal like that would scream win now. Yeah. (laughs) As you mentioned, the deal like that, that, that puts them over the top. They're a high flying offensive team with a Vesna caliber goalie. On the back end, when's the last time we could say that the Oilers had someone who was uh, worthy of winning in Vesna? Can you remember a time that they did? <laughs> well, the, the last time they had uh, the best goalie in the league would be when Grant Fuhr was playing here in the 80s. But the last time they had a, a true elite NHL goaltender, I guess, would Real be... Wilson. For for the one for the one spring, yes, but uh, as a as a starter over a several year period, I would say Curtis yeah. Joseph in the late nineties. Um, yeah, so been it's been it's been a while. But sorry, getting back to the three goaltenders, uh, Huso, Campbell, and Kemper. I want to get your thoughts on them. Well, I think if Kemper is moving on from Colorado, that means he wants more money than they're capable of giving them or than they're capable of giving him. And so that would be a bit of a red flag because I don't want to see the Oilers paying someone like Kemper, for example, 
uh, way too much because they're not going to have that much money. So I, th I think they're they're just going to be out of it just by default if that's the case. So I don't really think it's going to be Kemper because if Kemper is going to be fine with a smaller amount, why would he not stay with Colorado, right? Why wouldn't they want him back? He just won a cup with them and he had a great season with them. So it would totally make sense if he decided to stay in Denver and I, I wouldn't blame him at all. Uh, I will say Darcy Kemper did uh, grow up two blocks away from me and we did play on the same soccer team as kids. So no way. Yeah. So um, if, if he was able to join the Oilers, that would be kind of cool that a, a kid that I, <laughs> I, I wouldn't say we were friends, but we were acquaintances growing up. Maybe, oh, maybe sorry. have to do some convincing. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know what? I haven't talked to him for many years, but uh, I, it would just be cool to see a guy that I knew growing up playing for my favorite team. Um, but it would make sense if if he just wanted to stay in Colorado. I mean, they have uh, an incredible team. He won a cup there. Uh, it, I guess it all depends on uh, how much money he wants and how much money the Avs yeah. have to spend. I haven't really uh, looked at their cap situation too much, but uh, yeah, that would be an interesting one. And and look, we know that the Oilers are interested in Kemper. They tried to trade for him last summer, but they were outbid by uh, the Colorado Avalanche, who gave up a first round pick in Connor Timmins, I believe. Whereas I think the Oilers offered a first round pick, but they weren't interested in giving up Dmitry Samarukov, I, I believe was the the rumored prospect to be going back in that deal. Yeah, that uh, I was really disappointed they missed out on him um, because I thought that's something like I mentioned in the beginning. Of the and I like was, Sam Rukov as a prospect too, but I think that I would be willing to do that if you know if they had the chance. Oh yeah, because uh, like I mentioned before, uh, what they were needing was goaltending, and I didn't feel like we had it going into the season because mm -hmm. we missed out on Kemper. I think that was the big uh, whiff that we had. If that's if that's what the rate was was a first round and Samarukov, I I wish they would have pulled off that deal because uh, I think that series against the Avs could have gone the other way. Yeah, and at the same time, I think Timmins might be considered a, a bit of a higher prospect than uh, than Samarukov. So um, I mean, it makes sense that you know they did the trade with Colorado anyway. But <laughs> um, do you think Darcy Kemper is? A top tier NHL goalie, though, would he be the type of guy who could, you know, give give the team that better shot to, you know, make it past the the third round and get over the hump and get to the final? Absolutely, I think so. Um, yeah, he has had some injury troubles in his career, but I think if we have Skinner and Kemper, uh, the two of them together, I think that gives us a good shot. Um, say if. Kemper does go down for a bit. I think Skinner could could handle things at least for a while till till Kemper's back. I mean, last season Kemper had an awesome year. He had a 9.21 save percentage, uh, 2.54 goals against average, and it's not like it's the first time he's ever put up numbers like that. Uh, a couple years before that, with Arizona, he had a 9.28 save percentage. Year before that, he had 9.25. He is a really good goalie, yeah. and he would give us a chance to win. And if you look at it, the most games he's ever played in a season was this past year with Colorado. He played 57. Before that, it was 55 with Arizona in 2018-19. Uh, 
that's right around the amount that you would want him to be playing next exactly. year. Some somewhere in that low to mid fifty range. So even if Skinner is in the high twenties or gets to thirty, like that's that's a good split. And then come playoff time, obviously you're going to run with uh, Kemper the rest of the way. But um, I guess the the thing that I wonder is because he's thirty two, he's going to be looking for that home run deal that will probably lock yeah. him up for the rest of his career. And if you sign a goalie like that, you're kind of blocking Skinner from ever developing into that number one goalie that you'll hope he he could kind of be. So I wonder if one of the other two guys might make more sense just because it allows Skinner to eventually develop into you know what you drafted him to be in 2017. Yeah, well, Jack Campbell, he it's not like he's really any younger he's 30 um, he's 30 and you know what he so. he doesn't have a, a lot of uh wear on the tires because you know it's similar to rollison and one of the reasons rollison was able to play into his 40s was because he was a backup for much of his career and when you look at jack campbell 155 or sorry 135 games played um compared to darcy kemper who's at 299 so having a goalie who hasn't uh, been through the rigors as long as uh, you know some thirty-year-old goalies might be. You know, I I think that he could still um, have lots of energy to play into his thirties as well, and probably a better uh, a better chance for Skinner to eventually you know take the job away from him. And uh, Elliot Friedman mentioned on his Thirty Two Thoughts podcast that he's starting to think that that's more and more a fit uh, for the Oilers and uh, uh, Campbell to get something done this summer. Yeah. um, I think the big thing is you gotta, you gotta have the option for Skinner to, to grow into a role. Yeah. Um, And I think a big part of who you're going to sign is, is going to be that fact. Um, Now I don't, all three of these goalies, I don't know if they're going to want to just sign for a couple of years though. Is the thing so that's true it's going to be a matter of putting a no trade clause in their contract or a modified uh, say a 10 team list or something like that uh, just in case skinner becomes that guy because you're going to get to pay him eventually too <laughs> yeah and then of course you look at a guy like billy huso who has the least experience out of any of the three and is also the youngest at at 27 but he's only played 57 nhl games now he was excellent this past year with the blues although you know he faded a little bit down the stretch towards the playoffs but um you know still finished with a 25 7 and 6 record and 9 19 save percentage 256 goals against average which is still pretty good um does the body of work there concern you that you know we're going on a very small sample size with him absolutely that concerns me a whole lot because um, Billy Huso, considering he hasn't played more than 57 games in his career, that's not a whole lot more than Skinner. <laughs> right. And he uh, played, Skinner's again, at played behind 14. a really good... Okay, yeah. And yeah, 57 games, that's, that's I mean, the equivalent it's, it's of... It's not much. It's to, to sign someone for a multi-year deal at, you know, that few of games it's you know you are taking you know somewhat of a risk uh i guess the other thing is though 
does he want to just be the backup to Jordan Bennington in St. Louis? Because eventually these guys want to be the starter somewhere. Now, Campbell eventually became the starter in Toronto, which is the first stop where he's done that. He he backed up in Dallas and uh, L.A. before that. Kemper, you know, has been a backup in Minnesota and then, you know, obviously developed into a starter in Arizona and then Colorado. But for Huso, he's looking to to be that number one guy. And how many teams around the league are looking for a number one goalie right now? I don't have the number off the top of my head, but I would think it's no more than about five. So if you're looking at that group of teams and saying, you know, who needs a goalie? oh, well, here's this one team over here, the Oilers, who made it to the conference final, and that might be one of the only pieces they're missing from getting to the next level. Why wouldn't I want to jump on that wagon? So I'm wondering if that could be a fit for that reason. Yeah, for sure. But I think if you're signing Huso, it's going to be more of the 1A, 1B kind of tandem that we've been doing the last number of years. So would you expect Skinner to play more than 30 games if they ended up? getting Huso then? I think if that's the case, then Skinner would end up playing probably half the games or just just under. And maybe uh, he will be able to do that. But I think it's unfair to ask that of him in a year yeah. when the Oilers need to be pushing for contending for a cup and also to ask him to do that in his basically his rookie year in the league. Like You want to give him the time to break into the league and and, you know, find his footing and not say, okay, you know, you're the guy. Cause that's what we did with some of those young forwards we talked about a decade <laughs> ago. You don't want to make that same mistake with your goalie. Yeah. Especially with your goalie. Mm-hmm. So looking at all three options, uh, if it was up to you, if you were Ken Holland's right hand man and he was wanting your opinion of who to sign. And, and let's just say for the sake of argument, they're all willing to sign for the same amount of money, which I know probably isn't realistic. But what would, who would be your pick out of the three of them? If they're all the same amount of money, I would say Kemper, and I would say Kemper all day. Uh, he's, he's done his thing for a number of years already, and he's the guy I would most trust um, to be the guy for the Oilers. I mean, he just won a Stanley Cup, too, and I would have said this a year ago. And now only difference is he has a cup. Uh, he's shown it even more that he can be the guy. And I would be 100% comfortable going into this next season with Kemper as our as our goalie, Kemper and Skinner. I mean, I, I think it would be an upgrade from what they have in or what they had, sorry, in Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen. So that's a positive right there. And, and you know, the goals against, I would assume, would be coming down, uh, I mean, as well as having Dave Manson there to coach the defense for the, the whole year as well. Um, the one thing I wonder, though, is if you if you go with Kemper, like I said, is he going to want five or six years? Or would you be able to talk him into doing a three-year deal? At this point, I think it'd be tough to get Kemper to do a three-year deal. So a three-year deal that... Sorry, go go ahead. ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Um, At a three-year deal, you get him to age 35. Mm -hmm. And then he's looking for his final deal. And he's not going to get the money, per se, that he's going to get this year. 
And so he's going to chase the big paycheck right now because this will probably be his one and only chance to sign a big contract in the league. Yeah, exactly. Like if he wants something like $6 million, then he's not going to get that in three years. Um, I think he could totally get it now. Uh, you look at what Grubauer got last year with uh, with Seattle, and I think he's going to be looking to do something similar. And does Grubauer time, regret that? Because he could have stayed, <laughs> he could have stayed with a team that just won the cup, or he went and and took the money to go to an expansion team and finish last in the division. <laughs> He's got to be regretting it. I don't see how not. I don't. I don't see. I was surprised when he made that decision. Like, yeah, that you, and I try not to judge go players there. for whatever they want to do. I mean, it's his life, and you know, he probably has set his family up financially. Um, for the rest of his life oh, yeah. and their lives. So it's hard to say you made a wrong decision from that standpoint. But when you're watching all your former teammates skate around with the Stanley Cup <laughs> above their head, you know, that might be a bit of a, a bitter pill to swallow. Yeah, exactly. As as fans always see are the wins, losses, stats, and Stanley Cups, right? You don't see yeah. the the stuff that's going on in the dressing room. Maybe, maybe he didn't get along with certain guys. You, you don't know. We don't know. But, I, I uh, mean... But at this okay, now I'll, I'll ask you this though. So if Jack Campbell and Billy Huso were willing to sign for three years each, but Kemper wanted to sign for five years or more, would that change your opinion on who they should take? I think it would. I think then I would want to go for Campbell. Okay. Um, the big thing there between Campbell and Huso is the experience. Huso has 57 games played in his career. Campbell has, has at least put a couple years in he looked good on Toronto which that's not that different of a a team than the Oilers uh, with their running gun style that they play and I'd be comfortable with him there especially at three years Uh, I mean you're setting Skinner up to be the guy in three years he can play backup or even push push uh, push Campbell and get more and more games every year then at three years, Skinner can be the guy. And I wonder how quickly into free agency they address this. You know, on July 13th when it opens, uh, is this going to be the first order of business? Do you try to, you know, go after another player first? Because I don't know how active they're going to be in free agency this summer. I think the main thing they're going to be trying to do is sign their own restricted free agents. They have enough of them to take care of. And then... You know, hopefully, if you're able to move out a little bit of money, you can bring in a goalie like Campbell or Kemper or Huso. But I just wonder, you know, that that American factor always comes in, and and it makes me wonder: Would Campbell be willing to come to Edmonton? I mean, he was traded to Toronto, so it's a different situation. Um, but can he overlook that and and say, you know, I'm willing to stay and play in Canada because of you know where this team is headed or would he want to go back to the States? But like we also talked about how many teams are looking for a starting goalie right now. And and of the ones that are, how many are as good as Edmonton? Yeah, exactly. And especially if you're leaving Toronto, who's a good team themselves. Yeah. Um, he's going to be looking to go into a good situation. I would think now geography that makes a, a big difference for a lot of players. Yeah, because he's from but, Michigan, and Michigan is that far from Toronto, right? So it it's a, a little closer to home. But 
Uh, it's something that we're definitely going to have to pay attention to uh, over the next two weeks. Yeah, and um, I think uh, goaltending is something that Holland absolutely has to address, and I think he's going to have to work on it early. Um, you can't just sit around and wait what to see what falls in your lap. Otherwise, yeah. all of a sudden Skinner becomes your guy. <laughs> Which can and, happen. I mean, that at that point, they would just run back with uh, Mike Smith again. But, you know, the, the fact that they're going to put him reportedly on long-term injured reserve, it kind of tells me that, you know, he's done. He, he doesn't want to go through another off-season of training to get his body back to where it needs to be. Because, you know, it, it starts to break down as he gets older. And we've seen the past oh, yeah. two seasons, he's had injury problems at different times because, you know, you're just, he's not, 28 and 29 anymore you know he's you know he was 38 and 39 for the majority of those seasons and now he's 40 so asking him to go through another full season and playoff run it would be a lot and and I don't know I almost kind of got the sense listening to his season ending press conference that he he sounded like a guy who you know was obviously crushed that the Oilers lost the way they did in the playoffs but uh that it would be tough for him to mentally and physically go through a, another full season. So at least this way, he still gets the money that he would be owed. It's not like he's retiring. He'll still get his 2.2 million and the Oilers get that little reprieve on the, the cap hit from, uh, from putting him on LTIR and hopefully that extra money can help them bring in a new goalie. Oh yeah. I, yeah, they're going to, they're going to need to replace him. Like, he's not going to be coming back, but we, we know that. That's uh, as far of a conclusion as we're going to be able to make right now, I guess. But I'm excited to see who they bring in. I, For sure. I'm really looking forward to seeing it, seeing it and uh, I'm getting antsy. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully uh, we'll have an answer, like I said, at some point this month. And uh, it'd be great to have you back on the show sometime next season and we can talk about how uh, well the new Oilers goalie is hopefully playing. Oh yeah, I'm excited for that. That'll... Well, anyway, Kevin, it's been uh, great having you on the show today. I really appreciate it. Uh, where can people follow you on Twitter? Well, they can find me on Oilers Digital. Um, spelled exactly <laughs> like it sounds. Um, I will be not very active throughout the summer, I don't think, unless uh, there's a lot going on. But uh, it looks like it's going to be a, a a busy summer, I guess. But yeah. um, for the next while, we have a lot to look forward to. Well, uh, like I said, I, I look forward to chatting with you again. And it was a uh, great ch- talking to you today. Uh, and like I said, we'll we'll have uh, lots to, to get to next time I have you on. So thanks again, buddy, for making time for me today to talk some Oilers hockey. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Eric. All right. So for Kevin Newfeld, I'm Eric Friesen. This has been the 99 Forever podcast. We're out.